1: And we are live in Fort Myers, Florida. Beautiful Lee County sports facility here in Fort Myers. The grass is green. The infield looks perfect. Ah, first game Friday right here on CCO Radio. Five o'clock Friday. We've got the Twins and the Gophers. How fun is that going to be? Tomorrow we'll talk with the uh, head coach of the Gophers baseball team, John Anderson, in his final season He'll join us during drive time, I think, right at this time, right? Four o'clock, Dan? Uh, yeah, 4.05, exactly. Yeah. So one hour or one day from today. That's yes. right. Yes. Yeah, so that should be good. And then we'll have the game live here on CCO at 5 o'clock uh, on Friday. So should be good stuff. We are, of course, uh, continuing to think about and uh, pray for and wrap our arms around the families of the fallen police officers, In saying fallen, it almost, uh, certainly unintentionally, but it almost minimizes the fact they were murdered. They are absolute murder victims. Shannon Gooden is the name that the medical examiner released early this morning. Uh, The killer who gunned down those two officers, uh, hit another officer, and then also killed a firefighter paramedic who was assigned to that critical incident response team in Burnsville. Lou Raguse has been covering this story since it broke on Saturday for CARE 11. Lou joins us often on this show because he breaks news so often and yesterday, Lou uh, got an interview that I think is important for you guys to hear and consider because one of the angles of this story is the fact that there are two, two different women who petitioned the court trying to get uh, restraining order against Shannon Gooden, and they both failed to get those restraining orders. Uh, Lou is with us on the John Schuster, Coldwell Banker Hotline. Thanks for being here, Lou. Thanks, Jason. You interviewed uh, uh, the ex girlfriend of Shannon Gooden yesterday, right? Yeah, her name is Noemi Torres. And and what what did she say about about their relationship and about any indication that she had that that he was still still violent
2: so they had three children together she was not the woman who was in the house the one that called 911 early sunday morning her three children primarily lived with Shannon Gooden because they had a contentious custody battle they had joint custody but ultimately the judge gave most of the time they stayed with their dad most of the time so she was not present but she received a text message from Shannon's current girlfriend Uh, about what had happened. And uh, as far as red flags and warning signs along the way, she said that when she was with him, he did not have that arsenal of guns. She was not aware that he had all those uh, guns there until she was told about it on Sunday. But he was very abusive physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, When when he was worried that she would call 911 on him, he would say things like, if you call 911, I'll kill all the officers that come.
1: Here, here's a little Hello. bit of uh, what she said to you in the story that aired on Care 11 last night.
0: Like, whenever he thought that I would call the cops, like, to throw fear means, like, I'm going to have a stand up. I'm going to kill everybody. And I'm going to, you know, it's always been immortalizing, like, this fantasy of how he's going to go.
2: He know? said that to you?
1: Literally?
0: Yeah, yeah, like, back before all of this.
1: And so, what. Lou, what, what was the, the timeline of when they were together and when, when uh, Shannon Gooden uh, allegedly said those kinds of things?
2: In the 20-teens
1: yeah. is when they had
2: their relationship. By 2017, he had a, a new girlfriend who is the woman that he was with on Sunday night. Now, they had abuse in their relationship as well. She filed for a restraining order but then ended up uh, basically taking it back. So that restraining order was was never completed he received sole custody of the children he had with that woman, but then she went back uh, to the relationship and was living with him and with all these kids when everything occurred on Sunday morning. Lou,
1: Lou Raguse from Care Eleven and Lou in one of the uh, one of the sound clips that you shared, and you can follow Lou at Lou Raguse R A G U S E on X or Twitter. Uh, Naomi uh, was talking about. Uh, Ugh! It's all just so heartbreaking, right? She was talking mm-hmm, about yeah. those kids in the house, and and, and that uh, Gooden sort of tried to shield their ears, like like that he was he knew he was going to start shooting at police. It wasn't just like a spur of the moment kind of thing.
2: Absolutely, it, it seemed to be that something that he had been planning uh, in case it came to that. So she had learned she didn't know at the time, but she learned that he had been taking the kids to the shooting range and exposing them to guns. And so before he started shooting at the police and first responders, he put shooting range earmuffs on at least two of the kids that were in the room with him. And they were there as he was shooting at police, and they were in the room when he killed himself. And before he did that, he basically asked them if they wanted to die with him.
1: It's just such a heartbreaking uh, detail. And to think of, you know, obviously her pain as a, as a mom and those kids who are going to, you know, you're, you're a dad, I'm a dad. You think about, you just think about those kids, Lou, obviously we're all, we're all thinking about uh, the police officers and the firefighter who lost their lives. Uh, But my gosh, these kids, what a road they're going to have.
2: Yeah. And something that really stuck with me again, as a dad is that, you know, when I asked, how are your kids doing now? She said, well, it breaks my heart. Um, the unconditional love even though he's a monster uh even though he's this evil person they have this unconditional love for their parent
0: mm.
2: and it just breaks her heart that he put them in that position and he did this not just to those first responders but in turn he did this to his family as well wow
1: what lou ragu from care 11 is with us lou did did she have any sense as to why you know she she did try to file a restraining order once
2: yes yeah, she did. Um, why and, did
1: Why did she fail? Why didn't she get
2: it? Well, what it says is that she wasn't able to prove the allegations. Mm. And th- those things are sticky, they're messy in a lot of yeah. different ways. Especially um, when there's things, custody,
1: things not, all of this yeah, exactly. going on.
2: And, and, you know, part of the whole thing is he had a very high-paying job. He made, in 2023, he made $140,000 as an auto body painter. So he had a, a lawyer, a very good lawyer, and he had... People lined up to testify on his behalf. Um, he had text messages that, you know, tried to make her look like a bad mom. And she really didn't have anything. She's representing herself. Um, she, All her family's from New York. Uh, she's at a severe disadvantage when this thing goes to court. And, you know, ultimately she did have joint custody with him, but really the kids were his for all intents and purposes. Yeah. And to make matters worse, it, it sounds like he was really – uh, brainwashing the kids to a certain extent, and you know they wanted to be with him, and that complicates things when you have these custody cases as well right right
1: ugh, yeah, and she i'm sure feels like as you're you're going through this process, she feels like no one believes her, and everyone you know he he's got the high paying job, and yeah the kids seem to love him and not her, and then to to think what actually happened here ugh. Well, and systemically, I think both you and I looking at this and thinking about, all right, where where was the hole in the system? Where was the spot where someone could have intervened and things maybe wouldn't have gone this way? And my initial thought was towards that, you know, that area of restraining orders where you say two different women uh, were unsuccessful in trying to get a restraining order. It does make you think. You know, obviously, we have to give people, uh, you know, uh, a fair hearing and all of that and, you know, equal justice and their their chance to prove their innocence. But it sure seems like maybe uh, one of these women should have been successful. Right. Is there something wrong with the system that makes it that hard to get a restraining order against a guy like this?
2: It would be nice if they'd be able to look at the pattern or behavior like that. And I should mention that this morning, you know, the courthouse was closed yesterday, so I wasn't able to get a lot of the stuff. This morning I found out there was actually a third woman back in 2005 who attempted to get a restraining order against him as well. Uh, that case has been destroyed uh, because of the, the amount of time that has passed since then, but it's noted on the court docket. So three different women were unsuccessful in obtaining uh, restraining orders against him over this period of time and that's not even going into how he had his rights to own guns taken away at one point and then unsuccessfully uh appealed to get those rights back i i went through that file today he had his current girlfriend give a character witness statement for him Hmm. to try to get his gun rights back now this is the woman who just a couple years before attempted to file that restraining order against him because of the abuse yeah
1: yeah, which is something you see, uh, sadly and tragically, in some of these family court cases, right, where you have, it's, it's, it's the love, it's the fear, it's the, you know, the, the, the concern that, that it won't make a difference anyway, or if it goes through, is your life at risk? Are, are you safer with him or, or away from him? It's such a, such a heartbreaking scenario.
2: It is. And the more that, you know, in my career, talking to women who've been victims of domestic abuse has probably been the most eye opening Mm. interviews that I've done. Right. And it's amazing how many similarities there are from one instance to the other, Uh, like a a man threatening to hurt himself, threatening to hurt the kids and as well as her um, really diminishing her self-worth, making her feel like she's all alone and he needs her. It's like all these patterns were existing in this Shannon Gooden case, just like they are in so many other domestic abuse cases. And, you know, sadly, this one ended in a, basically what he thought would be a suicide by a cop in which he killed three first responders before he killed himself.
1: Ugh. Lou Raguse from CARE 11 just doing uh, incredible reporting, helping to illuminate some of the, the really the depth of the challenges with uh this man with uh his relationships with his uh you know that that account of him going to the shooting range and bringing the children is is just it's it's tough all of it is tough lou i appreciate you thanks for being with us
2: yep thanks so much
1: care11.com you can see lou's full report you can follow him on twitter also he's linked to that that's lou Ragoose R-A-G-O. U.S.E. It is 3.20, 4.20. What time is it? 4.20. (laughs) I'm in Florida. It's 5.20 here, 4.20 there. We'll be back in just a minute here on Drive Time. So, last night, Dan and I are going out to dinner here in Fort Myers. We went to a place on Fort Myers Beach. A lot of people recommend it. I I love when you guys send me your restaurant recommendations. Many of our listeners are listening on the Odyssey app, streaming this live from Florida. Mm -hmm. That's how we've been keeping up with Chad and Adam and Benita, listening on the app down here. So, a lot of people listening on the app, which I appreciate and one of our local listeners recommended that we go to Dixie Fish Company right on Fort Myers Beach. And, Dan, like, how how would you describe the vibe of Dixie Fish Company?
3: Very relaxed, very uh, Fort Myers shack seafood. Fish shack, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
1: It's got that kind of weathered timber exterior.
3: Like somebody dropped a bar kind of in a restaurant <laughs> right on a dock. All open. Just, yeah.
1: Yep. Like, no walls. It was a little chilly last night. Yeah, we were in a in a, a spot. I was that shivering. Way. Yeah, you did. You I was shivering. Visibly by the end of it, yeah. <laughs> um, But there was an hour wait. Fine. That's fine. You and it wasn't what? really like an hour. We were really waiting yeah, for an hour. Right? Yeah, yeah. we going? That felt so, more like a half hour to me. But To know, Dan, know. it felt like just a half hour because... Yeah, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> the skies were very clear. That's uh, gorgeous. Just gorgeous down here. And you looked up and just were uh, absolutely uh, uh, entranced. Yes. It was very cool uh, to see and also extremely nerdy. Yeah. Oh, I was full on nerding out. No question about it. Well, you were you, pointing at, you about... pointed out a nebula, I believe. Uh, the Orion Nebula, yeah. You saw just... the Orion Belt. You pointed to a nebula. Yep. And then You're like we that...
3: talked about a sermon that I'm working on for a couple of weeks from now. Uh, where I mentioned the Pleiades Star Cluster, and so I was showing you how to find that in the sky. Right.
1: Yeah. And then what was the thing where there was like a triangle? So the
3: the, the, uh, constellation Cassiopeia Uh makes kind of a sigma shape Mm. in the sky, and if you use the bottom kind of point, like makes a triangle, you can use that to find the Andromeda galaxy in the sky. There you go. Yeah.
1: And we were, there was some question if we were actually seeing Andromeda or not. Because there was multiple kind of stars there, and you're trying right. to find the right one. Naked eye. We yeah. didn't have the high-powered. What is, no. the, what is the telescope you have at home? Oh, I forget the, the actual telescope. Oh, you don't it know? Is. It would be much nerdier if it you were be. like, it, it's the old, like, Skyfinder 42-67. It, it totally has a name like yeah, that, always. and I just don't know it off I, I can find it really quick if you keep <laughs> talking. I'll Google it. <laughs> It was very enjoyable. One of the great joys in life, I think, is when you're around a friend who has a passion and gets uh, just gets excited by it. I like being around people who are excited about whatever it is. I don't care. it doesn't matter. Sure. Like, I, I, I get energy out of that. and it also brought me back to my childhood when I had like I had star charts,, yep. I had a telescope, I was in the science Olympiad. Uh with my astrolabe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Some oh, of you yeah. nerds know what an astrolabe is. As you can look that up. All right, you found what yeah, it is. Yeah, it's
3: right? the Orion Space Probe 130ST
1: <laughs> Yeah. Would is. be the telescope that I have. <laughs> yeah, it's
3: look, it's I've always been fascinated with space and with uh with astronomy. Um and, and so I don't know, to me there's just something about recognizing where we are in the galaxy, in the universe, yes. in, in just is an existential thing. That we can stand on a planet that's spinning and then revolving around the sun all at the same time and look up in the sky and go, oh, there's another planet. There's Jupiter, one of the things we pointed out last night. And with a very low-cost telescope, you can look up and you can see this other planet. Yeah. And when you start getting existential and you start getting philosophical about it, to know that we are made of the same basic elements that stars and planets and all these other things are we are in its essence the universe contemplating itself yeah uh, to me is just I, I don't know i i love thinking about that i love contemplating that i love looking up at the sky at night and and finding all these different things and figuring out where they're at and what you can see and how far away stuff is that star cluster i was talking about is like 444 light years away right well why does that number matter that means that the light that you're seeing, as you and I were standing there looking at last night, that light, those particles of, of photons, the, the waves yeah. of light, began their journey to Earth in the year 1580. That light that we're yeah. seeing started at this other star cluster that long ago. I just, I, I find that stuff fascinating. I just do.
1: I mean, I'm not going to lie. There was a point where I was wondering, like, it, it would have been better if yeah. there were a waiting room, yeah. you know? You like were, maybe we were tuned out. And that's <laughs> fine. And that's fine. All, but... I was don't make it sound like I was mostly tuned out.
0: <laughs> no, you don't were with make, no, 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 I
1: was You were with me for I was a with period you. of time and yes, then sure. I could tell that I was talking basically to myself after a little bit. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh your your restaurant recommendations are welcome. I yeah. found out uh yesterday that there's a restaurant here in Fort Myers called Roosters that there is also a Roosters in Rochester, Minnesota. Okay. So this is like the the Florida location of the Roosters. Okay. Which I think is kind of fun. Yeah. We have a lot of those like Minnesota connections down here. Naples, of course, is close. Tons, tons of people in Naples. Uh, more from Fort Myers as we continue. Byron Buxton, fascinating guy, fascinating conversation. Really, the first time I've heard him talk in detail about his injury from last season, the pain that he experienced. And what he's most looking forward to this season. Lots of talk about your mind shifting based on circumstances. I think all whether you're a Twins fan or not, you're going to find some inspiration from this conversation with Byron Buxton. We'll share it with you in just a couple minutes right here on Drive Time. Live here in Fort Myers as the lawn tractor is out on the infield, kind of raking the, raking the infield dirt. The Roomba-style Toro mower is working out. And Speaking of, of nerdiness,
3: field. I'm more fascinated by the yeah. Roomba mower than I have any right
1: to. This make. is one of these robot mowers. We yeah. first saw it last year. year. Someday, maybe we'll have this at our own home. I can't see why you wouldn't. So there's
3: the two berms on either side down the baselines, uh, just grassy area where fans can throw out a blanket and sit, and they mow that grass with what looks like a giant Roomba. Yeah. And it's just I'm just fascinated watching this thing
1: work. It's amazing. It's amazing. I personally, of all the things you're going to be fascinated by seeing uh, it work here at Twin Spring Training, Byron Buxton will be high on my I am a lawn care guy, though. Yes. You know, Derusha Seeds. You're an influencer. Derusha Seeds may be making a radio debut, in fact, in a couple of months. Ooh, there's a plug. That's right. Stand by for that. Uh, Byron Buxton is so important to the Twins' success. His bat, of course, but last season we saw, well, we saw a little bit of what we missed without having Byron in center field. He was the designated hitter. He had an injury. We didn't know just how bad it was, and in fact, Byron hasn't talked about it much until this interview when we talked with him earlier. Well, we just talked to him yesterday. Uh, Byron Buxton, great to see you, great to talk to you. How you feeling?
4: I feel good. Um, great to be healthy, I will
1: say that. <laughs> I see the smile, like what a difference it makes. Last year you were cautiously optimistic that maybe you'd get out into center field. We all know what happened. Um, this year, man, you're beaming.
4: Yeah, it's different. I mean, when you ain't got to worry about injuries or, you know, Protecting your body, you can go out there and be yourself and and have a little bit more fun doing it. So for me, it's being normal as I possibly can.
1: What is, you know, as far as the mindset, after you've had injuries and not been able to get out into center field, uh, what,
4: you know, is there nerve, are there nerves, is there fear? What is there? A little bit. Um, When the real game started, probably when the real nerves and fear kick in. But, like, just getting out there today, feel – for the ground balls, fly balls, and the little catch I made on Santana. Like, for me, that's fun. You know, like, there's no pressure in this today. You know, like, it's just you going out there, getting your feet up under here, and um, basically just enjoying it. You know, you got to enjoy your time while you're here because baseball don't last forever. So, for me, enjoying every day, especially after missing the last two years, not being able to go and experience the the talks in the outfield or the – Drills that we're doing, just those little things make me happy now. So it put in a perspective of like when I was younger, I used to be mad, like, "Why are we doing these drills? Like, I know how to catch a ball, or I know how to do this." And now it's like, "Let's do this! Let's do this!" <laughs> like, because I haven't done it in two years. So right. for me, it's it put in a little bit more perspective to enjoy what you have. You know? Yeah,
1: isn't that interesting? Those little things end up giving you so much joy.
4: It does. It does, and that that goes with a lot of life, you know. Right. So for me, it's take those little things and those little things turn into bigger things that you know obviously those are out of your control but if you take care of those little things that you can control um, it's nothing to worry about.
1: Obviously your speed your strength is one thing the mental sort of mindset of being able to anticipate and track a fly ball or track a strange like bouncing ground ball into the outfield that stuff I think a lot of fans maybe don't think about what how much of that uh, can you work on as you're getting ready to get back into it?
4: Um, a lot of reps of ground ball. Like, for me, I do a lot of glove work stuff, like one-hoppers. Um,
1: is that the hardest, of one-hopper that comes it out? It is,
4: because you can hit and slide off to the right or hit and slide off to the left, depending on how the grass is, depending on how the grass cut. Like, it's so much that goes into just the ground ball, you know? Like, our field here don't snake, but I know if I go to, like, Anaheim, they feel when you hit a ground ball, it's like snakes in the grass, like it moves. So if huh. you pick your head up, you're going to miss this ground ball. You know, so it's right. like that is a little thing at Target Field we don't have to deal with. Huh. So, like, for me, I feel like I get an extra half second because I get a peek and see where you at, and then I can pick this ball back up without that ball snaking, moving. You know, so, like, I like to go out and know exactly what I'm doing. So every first day for me, I go check out the fields. Interesting.
1: It's so cool to hear that part of the process, right? Because everybody focuses on you at the bat. But last season, without you in center field, I think fans realize like how much of an impact you make out there,
4: just making the other guys better as well. Um, yeah, you know, for me, I You have a good group out there. We do. It's, uh, it's quite wonderful, you know. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's one of those where you just go out there, you have fun, and... Play for each other, you know. Like, you don't see many groups like this, this young, this special, with this type of chemistry that bond together and and can build off of what we did last year. Yeah,
1: Byron Buxton, with us. One, uh, one last question as you as you focus on this year. I already heard there's a little bit of chatter going back and forth
4: about uh, about stealing bases. It is. You know, that's something that this year I kind of want to utilize my my speed a little bit more to. Be better. You know, like, I haven't stolen a lot of bases the last few years. So, for me, getting on base and stealing bases, putting us in better positions, scoring more runs, whatever the situation is, uh, that's what I'm trying to do. So, Castro last year, just watching him run crazy was like, man, I'm, I want to do that. I want to do some of that. But I, I ain't had the ability to, to do that. Like, I couldn't do half the stuff he did last year in order to be able to steal base. So, for me, that's like... I'm itch, just put me on the bat and let me steal back you're ready to yeah, run i'm ready you're
1: ready to run I'm ready
4: for the playoffs you got in you got you got one at
1: bat mm-hmm. what was it like obviously it had to it had to suck to like not be able to get out there when you saw the guys uh in this in this opportunity
4: uh it did, but you know for me, those guys kept me going you know like every day. I walk in, you know, it could be, how you feeling today? How you feeling today? Like, they was always like, Buck, we want you to feel good enough to at least get in the game. Like, we don't want you to hurt. We don't want you to do anything. Like, those were the ones telling me, like, like you know, like, we understand. Like, it was me more myself, like, why ain't this feeling right? Like, why don't this feel better? Why why can't I do this? Why don't I do this? It? And it's yeah. like them questions I can't answer. I can't control the outcome of what happened, you know? So it was kind of me fighting myself last year while they was the ones picking me Uh, up. So for me, like, I think in that moment for me, it was they, after that bat, they was, like, high-fiving. Like, even though I got out, like, that moment for me was, like, they just loved the fact that I was able to get out there. It was special. It was a special moment for fans, too, it was. For me, um... Just them sticking behind me, even though I probably shouldn't have been in that position. Um, for them to be able to trust me enough to put me in that position, um, that's something special. You know, even for me, and my family, the fans, like that. Last year was that moment for me is probably one of the best moments of my career. Um, and I got that frame. That's a frame picture for me. You know, like that's um, something that I can always remember about Minnesota. Yeah.
3: How hungry does that make you to get
4: back there this year? Oh, I'm a lot hungry, especially now that I'm healthy. So I'm hunting my gold glove, my platinum glove. I want all of it. I want everything there. Is, so. Do you look back now and think, like, man, that I
1: was really in a lot of pain? Like, how I do now.
4: Like, when I sit back and realize how healthy I am now compared to the last two years, it's uh, – that's a dramatic difference. Yeah, like, you don't always
1: know how bad it was until you feel what it's like to be to healthy again. Right.
4: Like, every day was a struggle, you know, like, coming down the stairs, walking up the stairs to the, to the batting thing, like, yeah. on deck circle. Like, we got stairs right there. You know how hard it was for me to walk up them five of steps just to go to the batting, the batting deck? Yeah. And, like, that's mental. That's stuff I had to put behind me to, in order to understand, like, I want to play. Like, that's how bad I wanted to play. Like I wanted to play work that bad that I didn't really care like how much pain I was in. Oh, I can't wait to see you back out there this year feeling good. Yeah, it'll be good. Thanks, Byron.
1: It'll be good. Appreciate, Appreciate it. So, man.